Man, you may be seated. As you are, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 13. And while you're turning there, let me just say I'm, I'm very indebted to, to Dale Van Dyke for m- many of the insights that I'll be sharing with you this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Hear now God's word. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the interplace behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. That sends a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we could be here today. But Lord, we also are so thankful that you are a God who reveals himself, that, that you share with us uh, the gospel, um, not just once, but over and over and over, and that we could read it in our own copy of the scriptures. Because God, we know, as you have told us, that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so I pray, God, that we would come today as those are hungry to hear your word. And we pray that you would feed us till we're, we are full. We ask this in your name. Amen. When we have our faith tested, it's not uncommon for us to struggle in those times, uh, but to eventually stand firm in, in our faith. But sometimes when those trials go on and on and on, and we are challenged in our faith deeper and deeper and deeper, it's not uncommon for the hope that we have to give way to other things such as grief and despair and maybe even heartache. And so the question comes is, is how do we live in this world when things that make life meaningful and joyful are taken away? Now, these Christians that this writer is writing to, these Hebrew Christians, they understood because for them to follow Jesus Christ cost them something. There was a price that they had to pay. And to some degree, all Christians pay that price. Although we may not pay it to the degree that they do, there still is uh, things that we experience in our lives. And there may be even some of us this morning who are going through similar circumstances. You may have watched your hopes evaporate or be taken away. And, And if not, I'm sure there will be a time in your life where that will happen. And so how do we live as God's people in this kind of testing, in these kinds of struggles and and situations? 
Well, the writer wants his congregation to see that there are reasons that we have as God's children to have hope in those difficult times. Our hope, obviously, is not of this world. It's not in the things of this world. It is a hope, as as it says here in our text, a hope that lies before us, a hope in the things that God has promised. And we must realize this morning that our hope lies from outside of ourselves. And, and I say that because so often when Christians are struggling, whether it's due to, to, to a struggle with sin, whether it's a, a temptation that Satan may be giving or the allurement of a, of a fallen world, even in those times, sometimes we want to become introspective. We want to look within ourselves and we want to look at our faith or we want to look at our obedience. And in those times, we can become very discouraged because our faith can, can wane here and there, maybe depending upon the day. The same with our obedience. And we must realize that our hope doesn't lie within ourselves. We cannot have faith in our faith, but instead our, lie, our, our hope lies in something outside of us. And, and so uh, this morning as we look at this and, and realize that, that really faith is standing on that which we are convinced is true, that we realize that faith needs an object. We must have faith in something or in someone, um, as is the case for the Christian. We, uh, faith needs something to lean on. And that's what the writer is trying to remind his readers this morning as, as he writes to them. And what we have in God's word here revealed to us and tells us is that we see several things this morning. That, that God gives us to, to place our faith in as we trust in him. He talks, first of all, about the promise of God or the oath of God. And second of all, of his unchanging purpose that we see here this morning. These two things are the foundation of our faith, even as we as Christians, are, we struggle in this world. And so let's look, first of all, at God's promise or his oath. Now, as, as human beings, as, as people, when we need assurance about something, maybe we're, we're talking with someone and they say that they're going to do something and we need sort of assurance that they're really going to do it, what do we ask them to do? Well, do you promise you're going to do that? Do you, would, you, would you swear you're going to do that? And kids, when I say swear, I don't mean cussing. I'm talking about like taking an oath, you know, saying, no, I, I really like, what do you kids say? Pinky swear, right? Or do you pinky swear that, that you'll do that? It's that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's just like when we enter into a relationship with someone where we're going to spend the rest of our life with them in marriage. Uh, what do we want from them? Well, one of the things we want is for them to make very specific, very public, very serious vows before God and all the witnesses that are in the room. You know, we want that oath. We want that promise. Or even, and I know this may be a crazy example, but let's just say you, get, you buy something at the store and it's a, it's a large purchase and it comes with a warranty. Okay, you, you want to know that that warranty is going to be good. And so you ask for it to be in writing so that you can see specifically what it is that's promised and, uh, when, you, when you buy that. And, and that's what God gives to his children in one sense. He gives them a, a promise, an oath. And so the writer here refers to an event that the readers would have been well aware of and actually that all of us are aware of as well. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 22, you can keep one hand in Hebrews, put your bulletin in there or something, but turn to Genesis 22. Um, 
you'll you'll see that this is where uh, God is asking Abraham to do something that just seems unthinkable, and that is to offer his son as a sacrifice to God. Now, you have to understand that, that Isaac is not just any son. I mean, this would be a horrific thing no matter what, but he's not just any son, but he is one that God promised to give to Abraham like 25 years ago. And Abraham had waited, and he had waited for a son, and nothing. And, and the whole time that Abraham is waiting for God's promises to come about, Abraham is getting older. And guess what? Sarah is getting older until finally she's now past childbearing years. And so it, it comes to a point to where God's promise cannot physically, humanly speaking, cannot physically be fulfilled. And that, I just want us to understand the situation that we're talking about. As a matter of fact, this was so much the case that when the angels came to Abraham and said, you know what, Sarah's going to bear you a child... Uh, by this time next year, Sarah was in the tent, and what did she do? You remember, kids? She laughed. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm going to have a child, and but believe it or not, as the angel said, the year later she gave birth to a son, Isaac. And so now, after waiting 25 years for God to fulfill. Uh, this promise that God said he would give. Now Abraham is standing here with his son who's most likely about 12 years old and, and God is offering his son as a sacrifice to God. He doesn't protest this. He doesn't question God about this. He just obeys. And, and just before Abraham is to thrust the knife into his son, God stops him. And we read these words in verse 16, Genesis 22:16. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see, God gives him a promise, but this isn't the first place that he's given this promise. Actually, God started back in Genesis 12, and he gave the promise to Abraham, and then he repeats it again in Genesis 15, and then again in Genesis 17, and then here again as well. And he talks about at the end of verse 17 that, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. I don't know if you caught that or not, but you would expect him to say the offspring of their enemy, plural. But he actually he uses the singular, and later on Paul picks up on this idea that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of his promise. And so it's in Christ that Adam will have spiritual offspring. So this is a promise not just to Abraham, but it's a promise to us as well in the New Testament church. So it's, it's in Christ that Abraham will have a spiritual offspring where they are children of faith. Uh, listen to the words of Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, where Paul writes to the church at Galatia and he says, and if you are Christ, in other words, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. 
And so that promise comes through Christ. So, so God makes this promise to Abraham that's fulfilled in Christ. But he doesn't uh, merely make a promise, but we see also that he swears an oath. You see that in Genesis 22:16, But also, if you look back at, at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 as well, it talks about how God made an oath. Now, why would God make an oath? Uh, the reason that, that people make oaths is because we are notori notoriously unreliable, aren't we? Uh, we lie, right? Let's, let's just be honest. As human beings, we lie to one another. And, and for some people, and you've probably experienced this, they will look you straight in the eye and they will lie to your face. Now, other people may not do that, but they may forget what they've said or, or others may change their mind. But regardless... We understand that to some degree people are unreliable. And so we, we tell a person that they have to swear that they're telling the truth. And we usually want them to swear on something that's meaningful, something that's important, something that's greater than them. And so you might hear people say things like, well, I swear on my mother's grave, you know, that, that I'm telling the truth. You know, something that they would respect and hold dear. And as we read here, as God swore... There was nothing greater than him. He is the greatest and the ultimate. And so he had to swear by himself. And, and so he gives an oath. Now, an oath confirms the truth of what we're saying. And, and we, an example of this that we use all the time in a court of law is when people are sworn in to give their testimony, right? What do they do? They put their hand on the Bible. They raise their right hand and they say, I swear what? To tell the truth, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So, so help me God. And, and if they, they violate their uh, oath in a court of law, there is blasphemy and sacrilege involved because you're bringing God's name into the testimony. It's a very serious thing. Now, I think most people today just do it, you know, out of, uh, it's just tradition. And it doesn't necessarily mean as much. But the reality is, is that's what an oath or, or vow is. But notice... That, that God has, as he has no one greater to swear by than himself, and, and as he is doing that, he is also attaches the unchangeable character of his being to the promise that he makes as well. Just like we would if we swore in a court of law. And, and notice the impact that this has on Abraham in verse 15, Hebrews 6, 15. It says, and thus Abraham, in other words, on, on the basis of God's sworn oath and promise, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. You see, so, so God makes a promise and then he makes an oath that I mean this, I, I will keep my promise. And Abraham believes God and in faith he has patience and then he waits until the day when he receives that promise. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but this is very much the paradigm for the Christian life. That, that God speaks and he swears what he says is true. And, and we believe that and we exercise faith in that promise until God finally fulfills that promise in our lives. And you might say, well, Pastor Rick, you, you had me there right up to the point of exercising patience and faith. 
Because that's the thing that we oftentimes struggle with, isn't it? Especially in our cultures, we become more instantaneous. If we pray and God doesn't answer my prayer that I prayed this morning at 10 o'clock by 3 o'clock this afternoon, then God's just unfaithful. I mean, maybe it's not quite that extreme, but if we wrestle with something for a, a while, you know, then we begin to question God and we begin to question his, his character. You know, unlike Abraham, that you think, wow, here's somebody who waited 25 years for God to answer this promise. And in that whole time, he waited patiently, the text tells us. And you might think, wow, what great faith Abraham had that he could offer his own son as God has told him to do. But if you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, we're not there yet, but we'll get there. Hebrews 11:19, the reason why Abraham could lay his son on the altar and raise the knife to slay him was because he believed that Isaac truly was the son of promise. And, and if God had him kill him, that then God could raise him back to life and still fulfill his promises. Um, and now you might look at that and you say, wow, that is astonishing faith. I wish I had faith like that. But what we think of as astonishing faith is really just simple faith in a great God. Did you hear what I said? It's just a simple faith in a great God. It's not that his faith was spectacular, but that God's, God is great. And he makes unchanging promises. I mean, just, just think about what God's word says about itself. Okay, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will what? Stand forever. Do you hear that? Forever. It will never pass away. Matthew twenty four thirty five. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Or, or one of my favorites is Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that comes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in that which I sent it. And so we see that God's promises are true and they are sure and that we can trust in that. But we also see God's purposes as well. God's told us in his word what he will do for his people. And, and, and do we take those things to heart? Do we, do we think about those things? God says, I will love you. I, I will freely forgive your sins. I will robe you in righteousness. That's, that's not a righteousness of your own. I will work all things out for your eternal good. I will bring you into my glorious presence and the new heavens and, and the new earth. But I think for, for many of us, we struggle with that. You know, even if we've grown up in the church, maybe sometimes those things just begin to be sound like noise to us. And, and rather than receiving God's word, his promise, as Abraham received his promise in our attitudes and our actions, uh, we sometimes maybe, we, we doubt God. And so we say to God in our times of fear, really God, do you promise? Is your word true? Would you swear an oath that you will do what you said? Even though God has never broken his word once, he is willing to say to us this morning, 
I promise. I swear an oath that I, what I say is true. And then, I think sometimes as Christians, as we go through greater trials, as we go through more difficult things, as we go through longer trials, and we're suffering, and, and we don't see those answers that God has promised, then maybe the doubts and the fears return. And we find ourselves questioning, again, the reliability of God. And we're tempted to think that maybe God is not telling us the truth. Maybe we've believed him in vain that, um, and, and, and we, we may say in the midst of our grief, God, really, do you swear that what you said is true and it will happen? And God, in his love, condescends. He stoops down to our level, just like an adult that will bend down on their knees to talk to a child face to face. God comes down to our level and he answers us. And we see that answer in verse 17. He says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. When, when he wanted them to see that there, that he had a purpose, an unchangeable purpose, he swore that with an oath. There, there's a great desire of God that's revealed here that our Heavenly Father, is, is a, he has a passionate desire to convince us beyond a shadow of a doubt of his glorious, unchangeable purpose for us. God has a purpose for us that he is working out in, in our lives. And, and I believe that most of us understand that at least at a larger cosmic level, an overarching level in our lives. If you ask us, you know, does God have a sovereign purpose for our lives? We, we would say yes. But do we grasp that in the intimate details of our lives, especially as our faith is being pressed upon and tested and tried and pushed to the limits? If we do, if we do take that to heart, it radically changes the way that we face life, does it not? There, there will be patience. Our, uh, we will see our faith exercised. There, there could be a calmness to our life and a confidence that we know that we are heirs of the promise that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, and we'll be like Abraham. We'll be a man of simple faith in a great God. It's not that our faith is so great. It's that God is great. And, and we're looking outwardly to him for our hope. And, and as heirs, God is working out his purpose in our lives. So you see, what God desires is to more convincingly to show us that we are heirs of that promise. And that he has a purpose, that he made us, that he ordained your days before you were even born. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He sets his affection on us and, and he gives us to Jesus Christ to be our mediator, to bring us to faith in him, to bring you into the reality of a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, listen to the words of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, why did you become a Christian? Was it because you were raised in a Christian home? Well, you know, that, that may have contributed to it, maybe. But really, you did so because you were destined to by God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was God's purpose. 
and, and it's his unchangeable purpose. And he wants us to know that. And he wants us to be absolutely convinced of it. And that's why God swears an oath. God doesn't give an oath for the same reason that we give an oath. You know, we do so because we're unreliable. We don't always tell the truth. But as we saw here in verse 19, God never lies. It's impossible for God to lie. What God says he does, what he purposes he does, what he promises he fulfills. So, so why does God take an oath? Because he wants us to be convinced. Because he wants you to be done away with with the doubts and the fears and the questionings that plague your souls in the midst of having your faith tested. He wants you to be convinced of his unchangeable purpose because he loves you. He loves his children. And, and what parent doesn't want their children to be utterly convinced of their love for them? And, and your father wants you to be so absolutely convinced of your status as a child of God. He wants you to be absolutely convinced of your future inheritance and the heir, and heir of everlasting bliss in a new heaven and a new earth. He wants you to see that you are the bride of Christ and to know that that's a reality, that you are the people of God. And that where you dwell with God, he will dwell with you forever he wants you to know this so that you can stand in the midst of a chaotic and decaying and broken and fallen world. He wants you to be able to stand in the midst of the loss in your life and the heartache in your life and the grief in your life with faith and patience because you believe what God has said and that it is true and that he is carrying out his purpose even as our faith is being tested. And that these truths are truths that, that we hold on to. They, they're more than just things that we believe, but, but actually they are defining realities of our lives. And that's why God swore an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, by God's word, by his promise, by his oath, and his unchangeable purpose... It might bring us, as he says in verse 18, a strong or a powerful encouragement. Because we need that as we live in this world. And he talks about those who have fled. Those who have fled to Christ. And, and it's believed that, that what he's referring to here are the cities of refuge that we read about in the Old Testament. Do you remember how God made a provision in the Old Testament that, you know, for those that may accidentally kill someone else, let's say they're out chopping wood and the head of the axe comes off. And when they swing back like that, it comes off and it hits somebody in the head and it kills them instantly. Well, uh, the relatives of that person had the right to kill the person who had killed their relative. And, and so God made a provision for that person who accidentally killed them to be able to run to one of these cities of refuge. And if they could get to that city before their relative could get you, then you were safe in that city. And, and, and you could live out the days of your life there. I mean, that is until the high priest died, then you could return home. But even if that didn't happen, still you were safe in that city. And, and what he's saying here is, that that's what a Christian is. 
A Christian is one who has literally run to Jesus, run for his life to Jesus. A Christian isn't obviously someone who just believes in Jesus or is raised in a certain culture or does certain religious practices. But a, a Christian is someone who understands that their soul is in danger, that, that the law of God is like that relative. He is the avenger and the law of God condemns us and we are truly guilty. And so we flee to Jesus and to Jesus alone for safety. And so he says in, in verse 18, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that sets before us. You see, God wants you to be so confident in God's promises and promise and hope and the hope that set before you that that you lose that when you lose things in this life, which we all will at some point in time, that they won't shatter us. They won't shake us because the things of this world and the things of this life are not our hope. Jesus is our hope. And so we read in, in verses 19 and 20, he says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, notice what he says we already have. These aren't things that we're promised that we'll have. He said, we have this. What do we have? Well, we, we already have hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain. No matter how weak we are in our Christian faith, you have this hope. No matter how young you are as a believer or how many years you've walked with the Lord and maybe you're weary and you're tired of all the battles that you've gone through, even as a Christian, you have this hope. And, and notice what this hope does. This hope is a sure, steadfast anchor of the soul. Now, the imagery uh, of this really comes from the nautical world of the Mediterranean Sea. As, as one commentator pointed out, they said the Greek harbors were oftentimes cut off by a sandbar. And so the larger ships couldn't get into the harbor until the tide was high enough that that tide would lift them that ship over the sandbars. And so what they did was they took a lighter vessel known as a forerunner. And the, the lighter vessel would take the anchor of that large ship. And would go over the sandbar into the harbor and drop the anchor in the harbor. And then, even if the storms came, even though that ship was out to sea, it was anchored in, in the harbor. And so it was safe. And so the forerunner carrying that, that ship's anchor was, was really a pledge that the ship would safely enter that harbor once the tide got tall enough and could come in. And what he's doing here, obviously, is, is he's painting a picture for us of what Christ has done for us. Christ has lived in this world in which we live, but, but now he's gone on ahead of us. Not to abandon us, but he's our forerunner. He is the one that's laying our anchor in the new heavens and the new earth. And he has entered into the harbor of eternal blessedness. Like I said, not simply to represent us, but as a pledge and a guarantee that we will be there one day. That we will be in the calm waters 
of the eternal harbor of God's presence and grace. So how do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, you can say it's not because of anything I've done, but it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's very true. We can answer that question that way. But another way to answer that question is to say this, is because I belong to Jesus and he's already there. I'm united with Jesus Christ and he's already in the harbor, so I know I'm going to be in the harbor one day. And, and if, if you want to sort of take that analogy, I know he doesn't say this in the text, but if you, if, you, if you took that analogy of the anchor, you have the anchor that's attached to the ship and you have the anchor in the forerunner and the chain that runs between that is really the promise, the oath of God that we have in Jesus Christ and his unchangeable purpose. And what's going to break that purpose? What's going to break that oath? Nothing. So, so while we can't see Jesus right now, we know that he is in the Holy of Holies. He is in God's presence and that he is our high priest. And we're going to talk about that more next week as he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And because he's there in the Holy of Holies behind the curtain, we know that we will be there one day as well. And so, brothers and sisters, there, there may be circumstances in, in our lives that are causing you to struggle with your faith. Maybe even to, to, to shake your faith and, and cause you to struggle with assurance that, that God is at work in your life and the things that he has promised are true. And, and you know, we, we can find ourselves in situations where we say, you know, I, I just didn't see that coming. And we're just sort of blown away by those things. I know I've encountered many of those kind of situations in my life as well. Or, or you may say, I didn't know I was going to have to deal with this or that, whatever it is that came up in your life. And, and maybe you even have thought to yourself or maybe even verbally expressed it. You know, I really wonder if God loves me because I've had to go through these things in my life. Or sometimes you say, Lord, I didn't know that life was going to be like this. You know, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know that the Christian life was going to be this way. I didn't know that I was going to struggle with chronic illness or I didn't know that I was going to bury one of my children, you know, there's sort of an unspoken rule that a parent should never have to bury their child. But, but some have. I, I didn't know that I was going to deal with marital infidelity. I, I didn't know that I was going to have to rear my children on my own. I didn't know that I was going to struggle with depression year after year after year without any kind of relief. Lord, I, did, I didn't know that my children would walk away from the church. Lord, I didn't know that it was going to be so hard to care for my parents. I've been caring for them for years and years and years. And, and sometimes just this, the sheer weariness of the experiences that we go through wear us out and, and, and challenges us. But brothers and sisters, nothing can break the bonds of God's oath and his purposes and his purpose in our life. You see, Jesus not only understands what we're going through and can empathize with us, but he also knows what it's like to wait patiently to receive the promise. He waited patiently so that we could receive God's promises. You need to know this morning, brothers and sisters, that God is for you, that God loves his children. So whatever condition, whatever circumstances, whatever things you are wrestling with this morning, Look outward to your hope, 
which is Jesus Christ. Look outward to the promise. When God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then wait patiently by faith until he makes that promise a reality. Our hope does not lie within us, but our hope lies outward in Christ. Listen to the words, just the first verse of how firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? If God has given you his promise and his oath and his unchangeable purpose, and he has sealed it with his blood, brothers and sisters, what more can he say? Lay hold of those promises. Stand firm on those promises. Don't judge your well-being by your circumstances. Judge it by what God has done and said, by all that he has given us in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor Rick, I can't. I am just so tired. I just, I'm just so weak. Remember that his anchor holds even when we are weak and we can trust him and we can turn to him and we can cry out to him and he will hear and he will answer. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we meditate upon the word that was preached this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have given to us. God, it, it is so hard for us sometimes to, to just trust you. Uh, Lord, we, we want to do, we want to somehow contribute something. We just think, Lord, just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, but God, it, it is sometimes hard for us just to walk by faith and to lean heavily upon you and that which you have promised and that which you have done. But Lord, I pray for us this morning. I pray for those especially, God, that are just rustling in their faith. Those that are, just feel so unworthy, who are, feel so oppressed and, and pushed down. Lord, that you would encourage them with your promise and that your oath, that, that it is true. It doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter what we think. God, you will bring your promises about and your purpose that in, in, in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would help us to trust you in that. Uh, Lord, and just to continue to abide. We pray for the calmness and the confidence and the peace and the faith that comes from, from knowing you and in, in trusting you. Uh, Lord, we just thank you that you are so good and that, that our hope is not in anything in us, but it is solely in, in, in you. And we pray, O oh God, that you would lift our voices in praise and in worship to you. Um, as, as we are just reminded that our hope comes from outside of us. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.